0: Well, good morning. good morning. We've got a Bible. We are going to head this weekend to the New Testament book of James. Uh, I do invite you to turn there. I also want to just pause for a moment. Uh, Jesus said his house shall be called a house of prayer. So let's just take a moment and uh, open our hearts and our minds to the reality that God is present, that he is with us. We are grateful oh God, for the gift of today. Each one of us have walked into today with, oh, different realities. Some of us come rejoicing. It's been an incredible week, full of goodness, grace. Grace. Others of us come with heavy hearts, filled with disappointment, disillusionment, grief. So wherever we find ourselves, we ask you, oh God, to meet us in that place. I'm also reminded of the 122nd Psalm that asks us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for those that are suffering. Lord, would you let your peace completely saturate that place. And now as we turn to your scriptures, would you encourage us? Would you convict us if we need it? Holy Spirit be our teacher. Amen. So, about five weeks ago, we began a series of messages called Recovering Your Life. The way that I'm using that word, recover, in this specific context is the the taking back of something. Months ago, I was reading the words of Jesus found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Jesus is speaking, and in the message translation, Jesus says, are you, are you tired? you worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Oh, doesn't that sound good? To live freely and lightly? I wonder, have you... Have you ever found yourself in a position in which you were overcommitted, overextended, and when you're honest with yourself, it was actually your fault? I seem to find myself in that kind of place all the time. I remember one distinct morning I was once again overextended because I have a hard time saying no and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, why do you keep doing this to yourself? wonder if you've ever asked yourself that question. Why do you keep doing that to yourself? Well, What I, I, what I found, the, the antidote to that is, is truly keeping company with Jesus as he so aptly invites us in Matthew chapter 11. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And the paradox of all of this, really at least according to Jesus, is that to truly recover your life, you actually have to give a little bit of it away. So this weekend we do turn to the book of James. James is believed to be the brother of Jesus. In James' epistle, James' writing, he is writing to a church, a group of people, who were converts out of Judaism. So many of his... Uh, Writings contain references to Judaism. If you read closely, you can pick up on it. Chapter 2 is essentially broken into two sections. We're going to particularly pay attention to section 2 today, but in, in section 1, uh, James is speaking to the church as a corporate body, and as he's writing to them, he's essentially calling them out. He's saying to them, you have some practices and behaviors that are unacceptable. One in particular. When you gather together publicly and someone who is wealthy, rich walks into the room, you give them the best seat in the house. You give them the place of honor. But when someone who's poor walks in, you either make them sit in the back or sit on the floor. And essentially he's saying that's not right, that is not in alignment with the way of Jesus. Then he moves to the second part of James chapter 2, which in many ways is the theology of what he just spoke about, and he writes these words, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. And his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James in this passage is describing the relationship between faith and action. In in many ways, it, almost seems as if James is contradicting other parts of the Bible. So what then is this seemingly contradictory relationship between faith and works? This will probably come as a shock to most of you, but I can be a rather impatient person. I know, you're surprised. This impatience was... Put to the test by a trifecta of events last week. It began on Saturday evening. I was here. I worshiped with some of you, gave a sermon. Oh, such a compelling sermon. And then I left. And my family was in town, so I met some of them for dinner at a local restaurant and I was tired and I was hungry and we we got there and we were having good conversation and we ordered our food and, oh, did we wait a long time. Well over an hour, which is really a long time when you think about it. Uh, I know places are short-staffed and I didn't have anywhere to be, so I just kind of rolled with it. The next day, Sunday, I again was here with many of you. Worshipping, singing praises to God. and After church, went with my family to Green Bay to visit my daughter, Hannah. At school, we took her out to dinner. And once again, man, did it take a long time. And the restaurant wasn't even full. I'm like, do you need to get back there and help you? I and mean, what, 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 I, I, I get it. There's supply chain issues. I don't know. It just took a really long time. And I just... Okay, it's fine, it's good. Tuesday morning, I have a meeting with an individual at a coffee shop and I get in line to order my coffee. They're there early waiting for me and there's no one at the register because the drive-thru is apparently busy and they're just really working on the drive-thru and I waited and I waited and I waited. And what I what I felt like the image in my head was of a volcano getting ready to erupt. In that moment, the question that I was confronted with is the same question that James confronts this early church with. What does my faith expect of me, even in seemingly unimportant moments like this? Now I think James, the book of James can be a bit confusing because again, it almost seems as if he's contradicting the epistles of the apostle Paul because the apostle Paul writes, it is not by works that you've been saved. It is by faith so that nobody can boast. But then James goes on to say, but faith without deeds is dead. So is it deeds or is it faith? The, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther, wanted to cut the book of James out of the Bible because he believed it contradicted the apostle Paul. So is it faith or works? Or is it faith and works? Or is it something else? Is it maybe a faith that works? Verse 14, James writes again, "'What good is it, my brothers and sisters?' If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? I think it's important to distinguish between the word belief and the word faith. Though we use them interchangeably, they actually mean two different things. Belief is simply the cognitive affirmation that something exists. I can have belief in something and that something may not necessarily change the way that i live my life for example i believe in camel spiders you believe in camel spiders i hate spiders i do there i just i don't like spiders or snakes but spiders in particular camel spiders do exist science has proven it i believe it there are pictures of camel spiders But because camel spiders live in the Middle East and not in Southeast Wisconsin, camel spiders have very little impact on the way that I live my life. Now, I suppose if I lived in the Middle East, I might become a bit more aware. And yes, in fact, camel spiders might change the way that I live my life because I would do everything in my power to avoid them. But because I live in Slinger, camel spiders are no problem. I can cognitively affirm that God exists, that I believe in a greater something out there, and have that same belief have very little impact on the way that I live my life. But faith, as it's used in the Bible, though it does, in part, mean belief, it also means trust in and allegiance to someone or something. While belief is cognitive, faith is intended to be transformative. Faith is observable. So in those moments that I display patients standing in line at the coffee shop, I was activating, I was making my faith visible. But there's one other word we've got to consider, and that's the word deeds. Deeds. When James speaks of deeds, and when the Apostle Paul speaks of deeds, they're actually speaking of two different things. See, when the Apostle Paul talks about works or deeds, he's referencing the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, for instance, the Apostle Paul writes, know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, you're not justified, you're not made right with God simply by following the law of the Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books of of Moses. It's by faith. But when James is speaking about deeds, James is referencing the loving action that is the natural outflow of a life transformed by faith in Christ. I mean, even Jesus spoke of this when he spoke of healthy trees producing healthy fruit. Healthy trees produce healthy fruit and trees that aren't healthy produce no fruit. And and just like a tree does not consume its own fruit. The deeds or the fruit of my life are not meant to be consumed by myself, but given to the world on behalf of others. So when I take the word faith and bring it together with deeds, what we're left with is is faithfulness. And so the call of the Christian life is a a call to faithfulness, a life filled with faith and good work. Because, see, when I'm I'm faithful, I live a life that bears witness to the love, truth, grace, and mercy of Christ. My life, then, becomes a living epistle. It, It is most likely that the people in your sphere of influence will read your life well before they ever read the words of a Bible. You then become Christ's living word on earth. And so when I suppose I'm patient, standing in line at the coffee shop, am I not bearing witness to Christ? Oh, of course you can be patient without being a spiritual person. But my faith actually asks of me that I live my life that way. Being Being faithful also asks of me to live my life pursuing Wisdom. Back to the writings of the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians. Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, and we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through wisdom and the understanding that scripture gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Faithfulness. Pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Wisdom asks that my life is prayerful, thoughtful, curious, and understanding. Unfortunately, it would seem, at least from my observation, that the way of our world, the culture of humanity is moving in one of two extreme directions— On the one end, we as humans have become oh so gullible. And on the other end, maybe we've not become gullible, we've become oh so cynical of everything. Years ago, I received an email from a friend of mine. And the email was telling me that I could no longer visit Starbucks coffee. I couldn't go there anymore. And he said, you can't go to Starbucks anymore. Read below. And he forwarded me an email that said this. Starbucks denies coffee to the Marines. Recently, Marines in Iraq wrote to Starbucks because they wanted to let them know how much they liked their coffee and to request that they send some of it to the troops stationed there. Starbucks replied, telling the Marines, thank you for their support of their business, but Starbucks does not support the war nor anyone in it and that they would not be sending troops their brand of coffee. The email is signed by a high-ranking official in the Marines, and it goes on for an all-out boycott of Starbucks. The problem is, is the Marine that's listed doesn't exist. And the email is 100% false. No truth behind it at all. And I got this email sent to me over and over. Mike, you, can, I can't believe none of it's true. How many times, let's just be honest, how many times... Have we fallen victim to something that oh was so true on the internet, only to be found that oh we fell for it again? Or on the other end, if you're like me, I've become a bit more, bit more cynical. I just don't believe anything anymore. I don't trust anybody, which is which is a hard way to live your life. Like I, I turn on the news, I don't believe anybody. Read stuff on the internet, I don't believe them. My wife says, what do you think about this? I don't know, they're all corrupt. I don't, I don't believe anybody anymore. I can't do this anymore. I don't care what side you're on. I, they're all... Neither of which is the way of Christ. But because the way of Christ, the, the way of faithfulness, is, a, is really a call, it's a vision of renewal, restoration, and shalom in the world. Now, now in your Bible, the word shalom is probably translated as peace, But the word shalom, the word peace, it's not simply the absence of conflict. The word shalom means wholeness. It means well-being in the world. So you and I, we're not just saved from something, we're saved to something. We're saved for something, to be people of shalom in God's world. So we come to verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If someone is without clothes and daily food, that is the absence of peace, that is the absence of shalom, that is the absence of wholeness. And if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. I love peanut cartoons I, I identify with Charlie Brown man he, him and I so I came across this peanuts cartoon Charlie Brown and Linus are outside in the freezing cold it's snowing and they stumble upon Snoopy Snoopy looks kind of cold doesn't he I'll say he does maybe we'd better go over there and comfort him be of good cheer Snoopy yes be of good cheer and then they walk away This is exactly what James is talking about. When James says, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, that's actually a Jewish blessing. He's reaching into his Jewish culture. That's, That's a Jewish common blessing that you would speak to each other. Go in peace, be warm and well fed. The problem, James is saying, is that the statement itself is good... But the ideal is reprehensible because it's functioning as a religious cover for failure to act. Faith is transformative, not just intellectual. It produces in something in us. Because listen, well-wishing doesn't feed the hungry. Well-wishing doesn't care for the grieving. Well-wishing doesn't help the needy or clothe the naked. What good is it if I say, I see you're struggling, I hope someone takes care of you? Verse 18, but someone will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. When James is referencing one God in verse 19, again, he's reaching back into his Jewish context. He's repeating something called the Shema. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter four, verse six. The Shema is repeated by faithful Jews twice a day, every day. And so James is saying, listen, belief, you believe that God is one good, you, you should. Belief, however, without faithful transformation is the way of demons. And why would you want to live in the way of demons? You can have strong belief and a faith that's on life support. Verse 20, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Again, he's reaching back into Judaism and to the Old Testament. In a different direction, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What James is suggesting is that faith and action aren't at odds with each other. They work together. Now, of course, my salvation in Christ is because of the cross. Don't write me a note and say, are you saying we have to earn our salvation? Don't, don't, don't do that. Our salvation comes through faith in Christ. But the visible representation of our faith, the visible evidence of our faith is doing good in the world. So when James writes, you foolish person, he's not calling them stupid. The the word foolish should literally be translated as empty. You empty person. You want evidence. I don't want to be an empty person. So each day you and I, we make thousands of decisions. Some say we make up to 35,000 decisions every day. Some very small, some large. We make seemingly insignificant decisions like this morning I had to decide what kind of socks I was going to put on. They're buffalo wings today, in case you're wondering. It was a decision I made. We make all kinds of decisions. Does my faith inform my decision? And do the little ones actually matter? Because I I don't want to live an empty life. So I have an empty jar. And maybe this jar can simply represent my life and your life. And I want to live a full life. I want to live a faithful life. And so each day I make decisions. Some of them are insignificant. Some of them are small but good. So when I make the decision to do something sacrificially loving for my wife, my wife becomes a little bit more full. Each month when I support the three children I support through Compassion International and International Needs Ghana, I, my life becomes a little, more, a little more full. So much it just spills out everywhere. When, When someone I know is sick and in the hospital and they just need someone to sit with them and I go and sit with them or you go and sit with them I, my life becomes a little bit more full when someone asks me to forgive them and I choose to forgive them my life becomes a little more full when I volunteer in kids ministry or student ministry and I give my life to children and students in the name of Jesus my life becomes a little bit more full. Or, or maybe when you, you coach your kids' baseball team or soccer team or football team and you're doing it not simply because you want to win championships but because you do it because you want to invest in the lives of young people, your life becomes a little more full. When you're good to your neighbor, maybe you mow their lawn and you do it in Jesus' name as an act of kindness with nothing expected in return. Your life becomes a little more full. Now, the average human being lives to around 80 years old. And each day, these little decisions seem very small, but when you take a life, an 80-year life, filled with small good decisions and good deeds every day, what you're left with is no longer an empty life, but a life that is filled with vibrancy, color, And what seems so very small in the moment as it adds up, becomes something substantial. And someday, I'm going to stand before God. And as I stand before God, the scriptures say that I'm going to give an account for what I did. That's not me saying it. That's what the Bible says to us. Again, my salvation is through Christ. But I'm going to give an account to what I did. And so when I hold my life, I may say, God, I I gave my best shot. I did fail a lot, messed up a lot, hurt some people, did some things I shouldn't have, but I really did, God, live my life, I hope, in a way that honored you, and I tried to do good in the world, I tried to do do your shalom in the world, and and, and so God, here, here's my life, and what I believe that God is going to say to me, in some way, I hope, is well done good and faithful servant. My life then becomes an offering. Oh, the works don't get me into heaven. We all know that. But boy, it sure makes a difference in the lives of others. It sure makes a difference in the world that we live in. So this week, your life will probably be filled with disruptions. Oh, so many disruptions. Some big, some small. I mean, Could it be some of those disruptions are an opportunity to do good in the world? Maybe they are gracious disruptions. And each week as we make decisions, not only do we focus on making good decisions and being good people, but maybe... Maybe we're called to make decisions based on the Shalom of God, the peace of God working through my life, even in the small things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who lived during World War II in the Nazi regime and occupation of Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of those that stood up to what he believed was wrong particularly the extermination of the Jewish people. He gave his life for it, eventually. However, he wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, that there is a distinction between cheap grace and costly grace. He said cheap grace is the type of faith that does not necessarily lead to action because it does not demand a changed heart. But costly grace a grace that was given freely by Christ on the cross asks that we be transformed. And from that transformation, we become God's shalom in the world. God, I don't want to cheapen your gift of grace. I have received it fully and I'm grateful for it. I also know that The natural outflow of my faith is doing good. Not because I have to. Because I can't help it. I want to. I don't want a dead faith. I don't want a cheap grace. And so I do thank you, O God, for the gift of salvation. And I ask you to help me to live a life worthy A life worthy of the calling that I've received as a child of God. God, I know I can't earn your favor, but I know I can display it. So, my prayer for myself and for all of us, oh God, is that because of our faith, because of your grace, we would become living epistles offering your shalom to a very desperate world.